Okay, welcome to another episode of Ready, Set, Binge. I'm Jeremy, and I'm joined by the one and only, my co-host, my partner, my friend, Nick. How's it going? It's going great, man. We got a special episode uh, coming up out of nowhere this week, a little bonus episode. Bonus? uh, Yeah, bonus. I'm pretty hyped for this one. It was tough. I got to say it was tough. Um, had to had to go back and forth on a, on, on a couple. A uh, couple that didn't make the list. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see if there are going to be any steals. Um, I, I may, I'm going to call it right now, at most, one steal. I think, uh, I think over under one, I think we're going to go over. Uh, I think we're going to go over. Since when have you had that much faith in us agreeing on something? I don't think it's going to be the majority of the show. I still over under one. I think maybe I think I think the max potential is two, in my opinion, that will steal. But okay, I mean, you had me a little bit more hopeful there for a second, but then you hit me with the max at two, so I'm like, oh, oh, okay. You know, I, I, I'm a realist, you know. But our this episode, we're we're looking at our and there's a difference here, and I, you know, good thing we did talk a little earlier today because it's not the best TV dads, but really our favorite TV dads, you would say, Nick? Yeah. um, Because the thing that I struggled with making this list, there are so many TV dads to look at. And I'll be honest, some from, you know, eras of TV that I am not as familiar with as I'd like to be. So, we're just going to do our personal top five favorite dads. Well, for me, mine is really like a hybrid because um, I I do have the fandom and the knowledge to go way back. And that might even hit the list a little bit. But, um, you know, for me, favorite is definitely different than best. But there's no one on my list who I still wouldn't put in the top 10 or top 20 if we were doing best. Some... I still would have in the top five anyway. So um, it, it's kind of a hybrid for me. I, I made it favorite, but these are all guys who they're not like, oh, if I separated the best, I probably would drop them. Like they would still be very high on that list for me. But I, my, this is fun. It was hard. This was, I did, um, I do have to agree with you. When I saw you text that earlier, I was like, what's he talking about? And then, trying to finalize it, I'm like, it is, it's tough because uh, looking at, for me, there's different eras, there's different representation of, of what they meant to me and what they meant to the public and where they, you know, trailblazers or trend setting, what, what makes them stick out and, you know, just how much of a dad they were on the show. Yeah. And then the, 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 you know, concepts or the, 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 the philosophy behind you know, the, the archetypal dad changes, right. As we move through the decades in, in TV and, you know, a good, a great TV dad in 2015 looks much different than a great TV dad in 1993. And we're going to see, because as part of my list, I'm going to be able to touch upon a couple examples of that. Um, but I, I want to say, I just want to go on the record before we start. I also would put all five of my selections on the top 20 best. So 
there is nothing about my list that I found overly biased. So I guess you could say it's also a hybrid. Right. And I guess for me, I'll say I, this is just Jeremy speaking. I'm not sure if Nick felt the same way, agreed or disagreed. I looked at certain characters and that you had to really be identified. Like when the first thing we talk about you as is you're the dad. So for an example, and sorry if I say it, if I take one of yours, Nick, but um, Ray Barone for everybody loves Raymond, I would not put on there because that's not, he is a father of three, but it really was not about his kids a lot on the show. They kind of were an afterthought, and that's not what you thought of to me. To me, I think of a, a dad from Everybody Loves Raymond. I'm thinking of Frank Barone, played by Peter Boyle, and yeah. for my list. Archie Bunker is a dad, and to me, if I look at greatest TV characters, there's no way you can't have him in the top three. But for TV dads, even though, hey, it's the four of them, him, his wife Edith, daughter Gloria, son-in-law Mike, that's not what you think of really – when you think of him being a dad, you think of him being a father-in-law, always arguing with Mike, a.k.a. Meathead. So as much as I love all in the family and love the character of Archie Bunker, and that's how great of a character he is, I still almost considered him because of when he has those touching father moments, they're some of the most moving moments, I feel, in TV history. But it's, for me, you have to be known, you're the dad on this show, or you're the dad, like, that's what you are when we think of your character and we think of the show that you were on, the first thing that pops to is you were that the father figure. I could not agree more because you can, I mean, technically Jim is a dad in the office, but he's not going to show up on either of our lists. Right. You know, it's, we can't go off a technicality. So with that said, we're focusing on, that specific relationship, that specific presence in the show. Absolutely. So this is fun. Nick, do you want to start it off? Are we going to go five through one? Yeah, I, I, would, I think we should. I think we should go five through one. And we're going to do a back and forth. You go, I go, or? That sounds good. Okay. Do you want to start off with your number five? Yeah, I can start off with five because I don't think it's going to be a steal. If it is, I will be very surprised. Um, I do believe – now, number five on my list, I would put in the latter half of a top 20, um, arguably, uh, if we're doing top uh, 20 best. Number five for me is Frank Costanza, played by Jerry Stiller on Seinfeld. Mm. Did you see that one coming? Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I did. I did. Why? Your love of Seinfeld um, and your... I, I... That's all you need to say? My love of Seinfeld? No, but also I think you really... I know you love the Costanzas and the George character. Uh, I'll let you go first and then I can rebuttal. Go I've ahead. often been compared to George. Yeah. Does that yeah. surprise you? No, you definitely are. You're just not as um, conniving. You're not, you don't have that conniving yeah. trying to take advantage of part. Like, that is different. But the the weird social, like, all that other stuff, yes. But you're not a, 
you're a good yeah i'm not just saying that you're you're not a you're an honest straight up person you're not a trying to get over and connive and you you do care about doing the right thing and oh thank so, you so much Steve. <laughs> don't get too comfortable but that's, i'm, I'm, I'm that, neurotic but i'm yes. i'm honest about it <laughs> yeah yeah so that's where you but other than that yeah i definitely see george tendencies for sure but go ahead sir well no i mean Jer- i mean jerry stiller's a legend r.i.p um lost him earlier this year unfortunately he just gave us so many years of of, of laughter and even his own co-stars could barely get through a scene with him sometimes just because of how he played this character of Frank Costanza. So many moments stick out to me for him. I mean, you have, he made uh, a fake holiday legendary pretty much by himself with Festivus, right? You have the Fusilli Jerry episode um, with the proctologist. You have him, there, there's the episode where he, he um, talks about his move, stops short in the car, and he's, uh, I'll show you ass, man, to Kramer. Mm-hmm. It's just, he, he just gives, he gives you moment after moment. The man's ear. There, there's just so many iconic moments in that show where you think, you think of Jerry Stiller. You think of that character, Frank Costanza. It's, he's hilarious. He's over the top, sure. But honestly, for some families, not that much over the top. Like a lot of the yelling, like I, the, the Costanza character and the Costanzas in general, to me, always seemed like a hyperbole of an, an old-fashioned Italian family, which I come from, not as old-fashioned, but... I, I am familiar with it. You know, we talked earlier about the the Ray Brown that vibe, um, and it's just whenever George was in that environment, I always used to get excited when Jer- Jerry Stiller would pop on. I'm like more screen time for him. Um, he just left me laughing hysterically every single time he was on. He was like he 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 could arguably be in that like John Ralphio award category. I agree with that. I agree with that. He could be in the the John Raphael Award. I agree that he is an all time TV character. Honestly, I don't agree with him as a TV dad. In fact, I love oh. Jerry Stiller. I, I mean, even my mom mm. was a huge fan of Stiller and Mira. So even you know the Stiller and Mira comedy, you know, you know them appearing on different shows and their albums, great. I like Jerry Stiller way more as a TV dad on King of Queens as Arthur Spooner than I do as Frank Costanza. Uh, I, I should have known you were going to go there. And I'll tell you why. Because Seinfeld has a lot of parents on there, right? Now, if you look at Jerry's parents, they were Jerry's parents. And the scenes that they had, they're interacting with Jerry. There might be other people involved, but when you saw them, they're interacting with their son. I feel that way, honestly, about George's mom. I feel a lot of interactions with George's mom were with her husband, Frank, you know, Mrs. Costanza, and then with George. I feel like a lot of the screen time that I got from Frank Costanza was him interacting with his wife or him interacting with Kramer or Elaine, you know, other people. Uh, Even his interactions with the Seinfelds were funny. 
But I did not really get it. I mean, I know he did interact with Jor. I'm not saying he never did. But I did not get the father vibe as much as I got him as the husband to, you know, Mrs. Costanza. And another kind of like crazy character in the world of Kramer, like the way Newman was and and um, uh, other people. That's what I got from Frank Costanza. And he's a great character, but I don't get the TV dad vibe as much as I would for Jerry Stiller with Arthur Spooner and King of Queens. Fair enough. I enjoyed him more in Seinfeld. I can see why you would go Arthur Spooner because that is another great character. Um, I mean, if you're going to put him on an all-time character list, you got to – I feel like he, he fulfills the dad role. I That's- don't because, like I said, I I don't think of him – I know he's he's George's dad. He's Frank Costanza, but he's more getting into schemes with Kramer and or arguing with his wife about, like, he, I don't get the the dad, like, like, like what I have – with my guys, like I said, like Archie Bunker, to me, it was more of him arguing with Edith and battling his son-in-law. And that to me is why, you know, he's a father. Cause that's his son-in-law who he's always arguing with. But as far as being a dad in a positive way or negative way, um, that is why I, I can't put Frank Costanzo in there. Like, to, like to me, Tony Soprano is not on my list, but Soprano interacted a lot with his he was a dad like he had his mom he was a dad with the mob guys the younger but with his family with his two kids meadow and 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 aj he was a dad you saw that like it wasn't like oh they're kind of separate a lot of times frank costanza is doing something with kramer and then george is like what's what's my dad like he doesn't even know you know what i mean like he's not he's not involved in it so it's like ah why why was my father with a man wearing a cape yeah. What was a man wearing, wearing a cape? What, what was he doing with my father? Uh, there's still some father moments, though. Like when he, there's that episode where he, where George gets in trouble because he's trying to be a bad boy and he goes down to, to, um, to the, uh, to the station to like mm-hmm. help bail George out. And he's like yelling at Elaine. And I, there are those moments, I, I guess. And that's more with Elaine. That's a classic moment with Elaine. It's a classic moment with Elaine, but he's there for George. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's, you forget. It's like a side thing. It's, it's like, yeah, he's there, and then he's interacting with more, who? With Elaine. He was just Did that he, good, man. He's a great character. Doesn't make my list. I'm 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 tough critic, but okay. Well, who's five for you? My number five, I'm going to go with Jason Seaver from Growing Pains, played by the late, also died four years ago, the late, great Alan Thicke. Jason Seaver mm. from Growing Pains. That's my number five. And I'm going to say it this. In an era in the 80s when, like we talked about earlier, you see the evolution of, of a lot of characters, of TV dads, TV moms, but this episode's about dads. The 80s, it was starting in the mid-80s to see that shift. Uh, you have Who's the Boss came out in 84 with Tony Danza. Charles in Charge came out in 84. So you have that shift of, oh, men are doing the classic women roles on TV starting to show. Right. And women, you know, because of the 80s in society, women are going back to work and take, you know, taking over like the boardrooms more. You, they start showing that. But I thought it was huge. But who's the boss? He played the nanny role and it was kind of hyped up. And um, 
he didn't he it was a weird thing because he was like the boss i mean an employee and angela was the boss and i get it but to me what really personifies that shift was jason Seaver being a stay-at-home you know dad he still was working he's a psychiatrist which was a very outside of you know you think of bob newhart uh the bob newhart show which bob newhart played a psychiatrist but he was in the office you don't really see that a lot you didn't see that a lot on television as a man who was more of a thinking you know kind of a character leading the way he was more of rational than always the, the classic dad who blows up and gets mad and you don't want dad to be mad he thought with feelings he was and was empathetic and showed emotion. And I love the fact that even though he was a modern man and was logic, he still and supported his wife. You know, his wife went back to her job of being a reporter or journalist. He still had struggles with that, too. And he still kind of had those traditions. And there was times where and it came out to me in a great way. It didn't come out in that you need to be here and make me dinner like not that. But it came out in a very real way of, you know, he knew being the psychiatrist, he knew like who cares about these gender norms. But in a way, he knew it still did get under his skin a little bit. And I loved how he was as a parent to it was first three, then it became four. But to those kids and how he dealt with Mike, who was the troublemaker, how he was with Carol and Ben and just the acting that he did, the scenes. You know, from I think of the great episode where Matthew Perry guest starred and, you know, dies, you know, him and he's dating Carol, the daughter, and he gets into the car accident. And he was drinking and he's OK in the hospital. And this the scenes that he showed where after visiting uh, his character name was Sandy, Matthew Perry, but after seeing him in the hospital and he's yelling at Carol and then she starts getting emotional and she hugs her mom and he's just like, but Carol, and that just could have been you. And he, he stops short because he sees that as justified as most of us would say, he has to yell at his daughter. He sees the emotion. He sees how scared she is. And he pretty much says like the fears that he has, that that could have been you in that hospital bed. And then in that second where Mike Seaver comes in and says, he got a phone call and that Carol's boyfriend wound up passing away and how he quickly went to being there for his daughter. It's just a character. We didn't see that in the minute. It was a shift, but he personified it so well to me of being what we call, I guess, in 2020, more of a modern father and the open battles that I think a lot of modern men today where we are feminists, where we want equal for women, we want, but then there's times where we do kind of, whether it's through society pressures or our own self-esteem, we kind of get into that traditional, well, I wish, you know, you would do this or, you, you know, I wish I would do this. And I'm not saying that it's right, but it's human and it's real. And Jason Seaver to me was really the first show that I saw in the first, you know, portrayal of a father who consistently did that. So number five for me is Jason Seaver from Growing Pains. That's a, that's an excellent pick. I couldn't agree more. And I'm glad that you brought up the kind of the evolution of, of dads in the eighties and, and how they were portrayed. I think he was a trailblazer for that. And I think we're going to see probably with a few more of our picks coming up, um, how that influenced future shows. Right. Who's your number four, number four. Um, this might, might be a surprise to you. I, I didn't know, um, 
if he would crack my my top five, but I kept I just kept coming back to him. I got to go with um, James Avery as Philip Banks, uh, aka Uncle Phil uh, from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Um, James Avery did a phenomenal job with that role. He, I mean, he played every single emotion in the book at different times. Now he did have a bit of a temper um, on the show, but I mean, to take in, you know, your, your, your nephew and welcome in, welcome him into the family. Now, obviously in the beginning, he, it was, you know, didn't seem like uh, he was very on board when Will first got there, as we saw in those, you know, that, that first season, there was a lot of struggle, but as the years progressed, I felt like the character evolved with the situation. I felt like he and Will grew closer. Um, there were more fatherly moments in the mid to later seasons. Of course, you know, we all know that scene between um, Uncle Phil and Will after Will's, Will's father leaves. It's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most powerful scenes in television history. Um, and just how he handles, you know, trying to let Will find his way, but at the same time, he knows that he doesn't have anyone else as a father figure, and he knows he, he needs to be there for him to teach him valuable lessons along the way, even though it's not, it's not really his job. You know, right? But this fell upon him and the way that the relationship between Uncle Phil and Will grows throughout throughout that series to me is one of the most memorable relationships in television history. Um, you know, that bond that they wind up having by the end and how much Will grows and how much you can attribute that to, you know, Uncle Phil, whether it be, you know, having to lay the hammer down and discipline him or, or talk to him, you know, like, like he's his son. To me, it's an all time great character. I don't think you can go wrong putting him on the, the best list, even though technically he's an uncle, he's, he's a father in that show. Well, that's just, this is a steal. Cause he's my number two. Oh, and I think you, uh, you have him at four. That's too low. Um, okay. I mean, only two spots off, but still too low is, He's I have my a lot num- of respect for that character. He's my number two, and uh, you made good points. But I think for me, what I look at is, and you're right, you see the first season because that is uh, Philip Banks is Will's uncle by marriage. So, and I know people say, well, who cares? But that is a big deal. That's yeah, a difference. That is a big because deal. Because you get in the first season that, yes, Aunt Viv wants to help her sister her sister's son, her nephew, not so much Philip Banks. And, you know, and Phil has carved up a nice life for, he, he worked hard. He's a judge and, and, and carved up a nice life for him. And, he, and so he is still a dad because you have Hillary, Carlton, and Ashley. Now he's an uncle to the main character, but he's still a dad to those three. Right. But, I always give it credit because of the way it was balanced. I I still don't – I felt like when James Avery passed away, it got talked about. But how I think it should get talked about even more is the balance they did in showing him, meaning Phil, have that he was successful and in a white world. 
but constantly showed his pride in being a black man and constantly showed that he never forgot who he was or where he came from. And even, you know, from schooling Will to talking about, you know, hey, you might you might wear a T-shirt about Malcolm X, but I read the man's work. I, I listened to him speak. I absorbed everything he said. Like, he, he kept that with him. Or for having to defend his son and nephew when they get, you know, wrongfully pulled over, you know, for pretty much driving while black, DWB, and him understanding the power that comes with that. And the power that, it, that uh, uh, speaking as a black man that we have, where there is that balance of you're trying to make it, but you, you can't. The, the community doesn't let you forget it, and you shouldn't forget it. And it's the balance of you know, not forgetting where you come from and who you are and remembering that no matter what kind of status you have in this society, you are first and foremost in everyone's eyes a black man. And I thought it was excellent how he wove it, even as we saw to his love of music and, you know, for him dancing and, and getting down on, you know, war and spill the wine, dig that girl. And, you know, it was just great that he showed who he was. And even I think in the episode where they go back to the old neighborhood to help clean up and him interacting with, you know, their old the old neighbor who used to run the grocery, the convenience store downstairs and would help them out when they were struggling to make rent. Him and Viv were young. Like he showed a thing of hard work mm-hmm. connecting, but still being able to go back to his roots, which a lot of times we look I can, you know. There's critiques for other TV dads who are black in history that get that. And I'll probably get to those later. So I give credit to Philip Banks for that reason. And I agree with you. The evolution of you see Will becoming, oh, this is my, my, my wife's you know, nephew to, okay, he's part of family to, no, he's, he's one of the kids just like anybody else. That was huge and uh leaves just an indelible mind us and to me everybody who is of our generation we think about uncle phil so uh phil banks is my number two all right man couldn't have said it better myself and you know i i i just keep coming back i mean i attribute a lot of will's growth to that character too because i don't think you know on the other end of things i don't think will gave him a lot of credit in the beginning I think he just saw him as, you know, as you said, having success in this white world, big cushion, you know, nice cushiony job, beautiful house, you know, kind of, the you know, living the rich life. And uh, I don't think in the beginning didn't seem like Will was aware of his roots, didn't want to give him any cred at all. Um, and through, you know, those those moments, as you alluded to, uh, that began to change. And uh, it's not an easy thing to do from a writing standpoint, from an acting standpoint, and you got to have a lot of respect for that. So as I talk through this out loud, maybe could have been higher on my list. Wow. Wow. I, but I keep telling you, (laughs) I keep telling you. Well, it's funny because we're going to go from James Avery to a completely different world here with my third pick. Go ahead. Um, I'm going to hit you with, Dan Castellaneta as Homer Simpson. Okay. Top five. Okay. 
Um, and this is coming from someone who didn't even watch The Simpsons growing up. Like, I had no Simpsons, like, critique. I, I Like, I had no Simpsons on, on the TV. It was like, you know, my, my mom couldn't stay in the show. She never wanted to watch it. I could never find any time to just watch it with my dad. So we just watched other stuff. And so I had to go back. I had to relive the glory years of, of The Simpsons, which I'm still doing. And um, after, you know, only a few seasons, I'm like, this is, this is an all-timer. I'm like, all this, I missed out on so much, D. Mm. I missed out on so much. So much because I had, you know, it was old school, 90s, man. We had two TV, one TV, everybody sharing it, you know. I could only control so much, my friend. Okay. But uh, I just, I don't know. He's the lovable oaf, to put it simply. You know, he gets himself in, you know, situation after the next. Each one is hilarious as the other. But still, at, at his core, he means well, and he tries to be a good father, even though he half the time is strangling Bart. It's just, it's an all-time, to me, it's an all-time great character. And I think he plays the father role throughout the show. I think that that role is there. He's mainly, you know, as we talked about before, we're picking um, actors that are you know, fatherly figures. Um, and, you know, he's just a, he's just a, a wholesome Christian man and at the core of things. Um, this is tough for me because, A, The Simpsons is an iconic show as we know, and I can't wait to break that show down. Um, B, Homer Simpson is definitely an iconic character. Probably, definitely can't have a top ten list. Maybe a top five great character. But where it's hard and why I don't have him on my list, but he's honorable mention, is if I look at it, the Homer that we see in seasons one to like four that guy's a dad to me. That's what I'm going off of. I just want to want to say. Now, what happens is there's a shift because if you look at to me when the Simpsons became big back in 89, 90, it took off. Bart is the breakout character at first. And you have all of, you know, the rebellious, you know, you know, don't don't have a cow, man and you have the Do the Bartman video, which was you know co-written by Michael Jackson, by the way. Um, it's all these different things, and Homer is that kind of because Dan Castellaneta said he looked based him kind of was talking like 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 uh, Walter Matthau. Now I'll say they, there's a shift when you get through like seasons. I you can kind of identify four or five where Homer becomes really the star of the show, not Bart. Because it's it's funny when I was growing up, Bart. What I did watch The Simpsons, you know, from very early on. I was watching them every night. You know, Fox was always replaying them and, and watching the new ones on Sundays right before America's Most Wanted came on, uh, all that stuff. But it was a shift where they took it too far to me, and he became almost a fourth child. Where it seemed like Marge is raising four kids yeah and that's where i kind of pump my brakes on him because he's a great character and i get what they were doing and that they you know and i i I struggle with it that's why i don't knock the the pick at all because he symbolized that no not every dad his father knows best or 
has all the answers. A lot of dads don't. Um, but I think it became just too too much in the other direction for my take where I could put him on the list for me. But his importance, it's tough because I think I don't knock anyone to put him on there because he did portray a father to me at times. And even throughout, once he became that, like, overgrown child to on steroids, the writers have shown great moments of him being a father. But it, it, what, it became not consistent enough for me for him to make this list. But I understand. I like I, – I don't knock you picking it at all. Okay. Well, who you got for number three? Well, my number four. Oh, your number four. Sorry. My number four – um, I feel might be if there's a list of the most underrated TV dads in history, this it used to be Uncle Phil. I think Phil over like the past, definitely since James Avery has passed, but I think mm-hmm. this decade he's not on the underrated. I don't think he gets enough respect, but he's definitely rated, if that makes sense. He's not underrated anymore. He was, but this guy to me still is underrated. And I'm going to go with Jack Arnold. From the Wonder Years. Oh, I didn't see that coming. Dan Loria portrayed John, a.k.a. Jack Arnold. And I thought it was huge in the way that you got 1960s to early 70s America. And the real portrayal that you got from this guy. And that he really represented, to me, my first representation of that culture class that you heard about during the Vietnam times of people, you know, young people who were, you know, fighting against the Vietnam war and feminism and civil rights. And in that older generation who were like, we don't get you kids. My first portrayal was seeing him and seeing the way he played that and the battles that he would have. Cause you know, Kevin's the youngest uh, Wayne's his older brother middle, but especially with Karen, the oldest child, his only daughter, and Karen was in the hippie movement and was running away, you know, ditching school to go to San Francisco and, and his battles with her with all that. And he was missing his little girl. And now his little girl's out talking about peace and love and acid. And I think the episode when he finds out that she is moving in with her boyfriend played by David Schwimmer before we knew who David Schwimmer was and the passion that I got from him where he thinks that he's helping her to fix up a house. He's she's moving in with a girlfriend, and then when Michael David Swimmer's character comes and he sees it and the eruption he has, and then you know hearing Karen, which is something I felt like probably so many households had this argument circa nineteen sixty nine nineteen seventy, where she's like, "Daddy, he's my boyfriend." She goes, "Times have changed," and the way he yelled back, he goes, "I haven't changed. I'm still the same." And I'm like, "Whoa!" Like. You felt that passion. And you felt that he probably knew he didn't have a re like he didn't have a rationale. Like logically, he he she's an adult, and it's not a crime or anything. But those were his values, and it's like it was like almost like don't you don't you respect me? Don't you respect the values I raised you with? And it was that battle that they had, and he showed that throughout of just that constantly being the working man. And coming home and but and just it was hilarious and 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 the the battles that he would have with his wife Norma he just played that part of a perfect mix of yeah that gruff they're from an older generation they don't say I love you 
but showing empathy and compassion when it was needed. Um, it was a beautiful portrayal, and I think he's uh, my vote for the most underrated TV dad of all time. It's Jack Arnold, and I think he doesn't get enough credit because he really, to me, personified the battle that a lot of fathers, I feel, were having in the late 60s, early 70s. So Jack Arnold's my number four. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that point about the the culture clash. Not an easy thing to to portray, but I'm sure those that live through it, obviously we we can't really speak to that, um, you know, would appreciate that sort of performance, especially in that kind of culminating moment that you alluded to just now. Um, All right, so I went through my first three. I stole your number two. Why don't you go right into number three, back to back? Okay. My number three... Martin Crane from Frasier. Oh, we uh, we kind of have a steal. We have a steal. Okay, uh, honorable mention for me. That's not a steal, then. Well, it's yeah, it's kind of a steal. I don't steal honorable honorable mentions at the list, man. Like Homer Simpson's honorable mention. Yeah, I don't count that. Out. I think we just oh, all right, but I'll let you have it. Okay. Well, I had him as an honorable mention. So all right, there it is. I thought that John Mahoney playing this part and to me the portrayal that you got and now Frazier lasted 11 seasons but I think it was a beautiful job especially in the early years of showing that it was an estranged relationship wasn't that they, that they, that they didn't love each other but between Martin that he had with Frazier and with Niles that they were very different and they these were two they were white collar intellectuals, psychiatrists. He's a blue collar cop. He likes sports, like drinking a beer. They wouldn't know a difference of a football to a baseball or basketball. They were sherry drinkers. They loved the theater and opera and 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 fine, you know, fancy art that they probably was too expensive and into fashion and image. And he was a bratwurst and beer guy. And the portrayal that he showed in not wanting, you know, reluctantly got shot on the job as a cop and did not want to move in with Frazier. Um, and that guilt that Frazier, I think, didn't really want him to move in either, but that's his dad. And I think also trying to right a wrong, not a wrong necessarily, but try to change the fact that he's not close with his father. And you know, we have to take into the fact that Frazier and Niles' mother, Martin's wife, had been gone for a while. And we look at the evolution of seeing them warm up to each other. And I think the first couple seasons do a great job of showing that, of showing how much Frazier hated Martin's chair, how much they argued about certain things and, and you know, arguing about, oh, you're watching the game again and all this stuff and but you see them grow so beautifully, all three of them. You see Frazier and Niles grow as brothers, but you see both of them really show empathy and grow and bond with their father, and he grows with their sons. And they learn to see the differences, but also see the strong characteristics that each one has. You know, uh, I believe Frazier and Niles grow to see that Martin was a man of good moral value and of ethics and of right and wrong and doing the right thing no matter who is looking. And even if it's a tough, dangerous spot 
like, you know, getting shot on the job, they respected that he was a man of moral value and a man of ethics. And I think Martin grew to see Frazier and Niles in a different way that, hey, they went through heart, you know, Martin went through heartbreak in a way with his wife. And I think seeing his sons go through these marital heartbreaks and seeing them go through that and really leaning on each other, I, I feel that he gained a newfound respect for them. And I really just loved how it was done, woven so beautifully. And it's no surprise that the three of them got along like father and sons in real life. Uh, Kelsey Grammer said when John you know, Mahoney died that that was, you know, he didn't know his father and John Mahoney was his father, really. And, and David Hyde Pierce is his brother. And I loved also the fact that even when we look at Daphne, and you could say to an extent Roz, uh, but Daphne is his, you know, physical therapist. And later on, she does eventually become his daughter-in-law, but, you know, toward the end of the series, marrying Niles. But throughout, you see a father-daughter relationship with, Fraser, I mean, with Martin and Daphne. You know, with Daphne living with Fraser and Martin and really making that a home. And I, you can't take that away either, that Daphne helped to create a home there. Without her, I think that home feel would have taken a long time to get there, if it ever. So I look at that. But I also look at even with Roz, who's Fraser's friend and his producer at the radio show he did. And Roz looks to Martin as a father figure. And Roz goes to him for advice. And he just, you know, he's biological dad to Fraser and Niles, but a father figure to Daphne, a father figure to Roz. I feel like he just really completed that show. And I don't think, I, Nick, I know you're a fan of the show too. It wasn't a far, it was a natural progression to me, which I loved. It wasn't like a, oh, you know, these, they're, they're from different worlds. They don't get along. They have a history of not getting along and just snap your fingers. Now they're a father and son. It was a smooth, gradual transition, well done, of you seeing their relationship evolve, in my opinion, season by season. Yeah, it was, it was a very delicate dynamic in that, just to your point, it didn't happen over the course of like a couple episodes at, at, you know, during a season finale. The, they chose moments to show they chose it, you know, certain conversations an episode here or there to gradually get to that point over the course of the first few seasons, masterfully done. And I gained like just watching that from, you know, someone, you know, who, who really appreciates like, you know, we love television. We love the art of writing and we love, you know, character growth and character development it was just everything was just so well planned with that show. It, there, there, there never felt like to me that there was a dead episode. Like every single episode had something to offer. And in those first few seasons, they played on that relationship, that back and forth, right? That, you know, that, that tug of war between Frazier and his father and the tension, you know, yeah. a very delicate thing. There's so much tension there and that can, can also derail a show if it's not developed properly. But in my opinion, 
it was one of the more fascinating in regards to television history, one of the more fascinating relationships to watch grow. And, um, you know, by the end they have a beautiful father, son, uh, bond. And we got funny moments out of it because of the contrast between the characters. I always, you know, when I think back, I always think about that scene where they were trying to appease him by going to one of his favorite restaurants and, you know, Niles and Frazier, we know that they're used to fine dining everywhere that they go. And, you know, they're going to a steakhouse, they're going to a pub, and they're trying so hard not to complain about anything, to just, you know, lay back and be one of the guys. And the contrast that played out between them offered great humor, but at the same time, it offered so many opportunities for those characters to grow and come together as one. I, and I think you made a great point. Um, it is probably one of the best relationships I've seen, de- I've seen developed on television. And, you know, to your point, you're right. Like in season one and the first few seasons, the, the tension that is built and I, I, that between the two. And I always think about, I believe it's a season one episode where it's, it's the Christmas episode and uh, you know, Frederick, who was Frazier's son with Lilith, you know, from Cheers, is supposed to come out to Seattle, spend Christmas with Frazier and, and every and you know, Martin and everyone. But then I forget the exact reason, but Frazier can't I mean Frederick can't come from Boston to Seattle. So obviously Frazier missing his son across the country is upset and kind of he snaps at Martin. I think Martin's upset too about it, but he snaps at like an owner or something that Martin hung up. And then Martin snaps back, hey, I know you're mad about Freddie, but don't take it out on me. And then Frazier's like, fine, well, then I'll just work on Christmas. And he's those, and Martin's like, I don't care. And they both just go, well, Merry Christmas. Merry, and they say Merry <laughs> Christmas back and forth. Yeah. But it's hilarious. It's actually a very well-acted, like, serious scene. But it becomes hilarious because they just keep wishing each other Merry Christmas real angry-like. But they keep, like, trying to out-top the other. But it, it kind of showed that tension in it, in that real moment that, um, Martin loved his grandson. Frazier, of course, loves his son. The disappointment of not being able to have them there for Christmas. And I think we all know that when we're upset and then we take it out on the wrong person. But sometimes it's they, they kind of point it out and snap back at us. And we already have one loss and we don't want another loss. So then we got to win that argument. And, and I think uh, it, it portrayed it real, raw, honestly, but classic Frazier hilarious so um yeah martin martin crane's my my number three and i would watch i would i would watch the the beginning of that series sometimes and i'm i'm thinking back like fresh off of cheers and i'm like i'm like come on frazier you used to drink beer in in boston at, at 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 cheers like why not just sit down and have a have a valentine with your dad like what's the big deal why you know all of a sudden you're just drinking sherry now like come on what's that so yeah well i think it showed the um that's a very good point, and um, and I think I know we're going to do Frasier at at some point on the show, and we I can go really deep in the Frasier, but I think it showed that it wasn't so much that Frasier changed; it's just that he found a group of guys, an odd group of guys at that bar in Boston, who accepted him, and uh, you know Frasier still was hoity-toity in Boston, but these guys made him feel accepted. And it wasn't that Frazier necessarily changed. It became a guy's guy. 
It's just that he found that right group of guys. That's true. So maybe he had the return to form in Seattle. Yeah. And also it kind of don't, don't get it twisted that had he not been in Boston, because, you know, when you see him come back to Seattle, you see uh, the big change where Niles is pretty much how everyone, when Frazier first came on Cheers as Diane's, you know, new guy instead of Sam Malone, they all looked at Frazier like the like that. And then when we go fast forward to, you know, Frazier starts, Niles is now like, well, he makes Frazier like an average guy because he's so – hoity-toity and finicky in particular about things Mm -hmm. so that contrast comes where like if Frazier hadn't been to Boston by the time we get to that to to, to Frazier's own show he looks more like Niles than he did yeah that's a good point maybe he's also taken out a handkerchief to wipe down the chair before he sits on it yeah exactly yeah okay okay well listen I think we should save the rest for a Frazier episode Absolutely. We got to get to your, your two and one, right? Yeah. So number two, um, it just, it hits home for me personally, as a kid growing up watching the show, although the show doesn't hold up well, um, I have to go with, uh, Danny Tanner, uh, played by Bob Saget for full house. Um, the situation that the characters put in, uh, you know, his wife having passed, uh, raising three three girls um, by himself, and then you know eventually with the help of uh, with the help of his buddies, um, the way that he navigates that character with you know the tenderness and sincerity and empathy, um, you know the the those famous ah moments which really make you sick <laughs> watching it back. But at the time, Mm -hmm. you're like, you know, you could appreciate a nice, you know, talking to moment, you know, a lesson to be learned as a child. He played those moments so well. And really, because of how well he played the character, I often found that the adversity that that character was meant to be facing with raising those kids was kind of like, was kind of like shielded in a way like you didn't really it didn't really come to my mind a lot of times because he was so on top of everything he mm. he was such a good caregiver mm. and he was um you know he he wasn't perfect because i mean you know what dad raising three girls is going to be perfect there are things that are going to come up that you know you're not going to be able to relate to or or identify with and you know, but he always found a way, whether it's through the help of his, his friends um, or just, you know, his own intuition to, you know, help guide his children through those, you know, trying years and, you know, those those formative years. And, uh, you know, to be left as, as a single dad with that responsibility when your kids are like, you know, you have, you have one kid that's a toddler. You have another kid that's like, you know, a baby. Yeah, yeah. A baby. You have one kid that's like, you know, in kind of middle kid years and then you have another one that's like preteen those are formative years and you know you have to be extremely versatile and um i think he channels everything he possibly can to accommodate them and to and to raise them and in in uh you know morally upstanding way um and and give them 
a sense of family, like provide them with a sense of family after, after losing, uh, after losing their mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and I keep coming like, again, that's great adversity. Like he is a single father left with three girls to raise all different ages. And like, he just plays the character so well that like, you, you kind of forget after a while that like, Oh yeah. Like this family is really supposed to look a lot different. Um, you know, your, your points are, are were well-spoken, man. Um, boy, that's a rope-a-dope you gave. And, and when I say this now, this is not coming at you because I'm probably the minority because I know in, in research and throughout the past, Danny Tanner gets brought up a lot. Um, so this is not – so when I say this, when I disagree with you, a lot of times it's you. This one, you're, you're just getting uh, – you're just like collateral damage, Nick. But um, <laughs> collateral damage, yeah. Because okay. I think that people and a lot of TV historian writers put Danny Tanner on a top twenty-five, top fifty list. I think that's the most asinine thing I've ever seen, um, ever, ever. Is I it rather the, have. Is it the cheese factor? No, it's the fact that there's nothing memorable about him. A as a father. B. You also have the fact that you have Joey and Jesse there, so it's really like there's three dads. Even though Joey is a like a, a uncle godfather type of figure, Jesse is their uncle. He's Danny's brother in law, but he, it's like he has it's like the three it's like the three men and a baby kind of the movie. Like that's what that reminded me of. It's like the Michelle, Stephanie, and uh, and DJ had three dads, so he kind of loses that aspect and. I don't know. I feel like when you think of that show, you think of Michelle and you think of Uncle Jesse, who is not technically he is dad of Nikki and Alex later on. But there's just nothing. I think it totally did the fight. You're right, because truth, truthfully, and I remember the first early episode, the pilot, it gets brought up that he's a widower. But that does get forgotten. And then the, you're kind of like, uh, you don't even get anything from that. I think a few episodes down the line. Michelle's like, I wish I knew my mom. I didn't know. Something like that. But it's just, Danny Tanner so... And the thing is, Full House, obviously, they, they re-brought it back. But Netflix, Fuller House, Full House is not a forgettable show. I agree with you. I watched it back then. And now I look at it, and I'm like, oh, I can't even stomach it. But, <laughs> like, it's hard. It's, it's all hold up. It's like, it's like bad milk. It's like, this is coming up. This can't, it's not going to stay. It's that bad. I can't get through it now. But Danny Tanner's so forgettable. He's not like he he. I, I don't think he's for, forgettable. I think he's underappreciated. Because you I, had the reason why you have like Jesse outshining him is because he was like America's heartthrob at that time. And then you know you had the Olsen twins as like the the cute childhood stars, eventual train wrecks. And you, you know, th- so that overshadowed the other performances. No. Well, let's look at it. The only thing I could say to me that I Danny stuck out for was when you saw him doing Wake Up San Francisco with, with, with Becky. Like, as you, a dad. What? You as just go dad? Wake Up San Francisco on me? Isn't that the show? That, that's what stands out to you? That's the time I saw Danny being like, okay, there's some life to him. They all had those soft lovey-dovey moments with the kids. He didn't, he wasn't the only one. Joey had him. Jesse had him. Becky had him. Ah, they had man. him. The kids had him with each other. They all had him. 
what what did you know? What did Danny do as a dad? Oh, he he liked to clean a lot. He just he he got <laughs> it got it got taken out because of which I, is the premise of the show. I don't blame. I'm not saying Bob Saget portrayed him poorly. I'm just saying there's no pizzazz because while they a full house, it's like they have three dads. So honestly, if you want to be like all three of them, Danny, Jesse, Joey has one package. I can even go with that. Wouldn't make my list, but okay. But to pick out Danny individually, he was a dud. Like you just he no was man. You're just making a, him see it sound like he was like Charles and Charles. Like he's just there. Charles and Charles. Charles had way more personality than Danny. Taylor. Get out of here, man. Charles. Oh, I, I thought well, he had. I mean, he was the focus of the show, so he had to have more. You know, more oomph to him, more personality, more. You know, Danny he, was supposed to be the focus of the show too on Full House. What happened? Not necessarily. The yes, show was, was called Full House. Who who's the first name you saw starring Bob Saget? He was the one with the name recognition because he was a comedian. He did like the Dangerfield, the young comedy special on HBO back around that time. He was a hot name. He's on the Tonight Show. Bob Saget was the star to start off the show with. He got eclipsed by people who can't even speak English at the time. They were two years old and they blew him out the water. <laughs> Ocean Twins just blew him away. He got eclipsed and and by uh, Joey with the woodchuck doll and stuff and. And and no, Jesse no, no. just mentions his hair every five minutes, and that bye bye Danny. That's all it took. Uh, Joey uh, was a kid. That was a child, a kid's favorite. Like all it took was a baby. Those Olsen twin babies just making this goo goo ga, uh, woodchuck, you know, puppet, and some dude fixing it on his hair, and you don't even know Danny Tanner's exist. You don't even know. Like that show does memorable. not. That show does not exist without Danny Tanner. Yeah, because he's part of plotline. But anybody could have no, fit he's it. The glue that holds. The no, he's not. Guy. Yes, you could have put. I he, will say this: of the three of them, no, John Stamos is Uncle Jesse. Uh, Dave Couillet is is Joey. I think you could fit a lot of guys in the Bob Saget's role. I don't know. I think. I think you're. I think you're. Um, undervaluing him. I really do. You're against the masses on this one, my friend. I I know. That's why it's not coming at you. I'm coming at the mat. The masses is crazy. Like crazy. If you want to give like Danny Tanner anywhere near any kind of top list, I might be okay with you putting, if someone put him on a top 50, you might be. Anything (laughs) top 25 on down. I'm like you're insane. That makes him you're like insane. that makes him like a lucky 13 seed in like the, the NCAA tournament. In March yeah. Matt. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan Danny Tanner should be in like a play-in game. Yo, stop, stop. Ah oh, man, all my honorable mentions killed Danny Tanner, and then I I just wrote down like four to five just to be like safe, but I can mention. I mean, it just kills Danny Tanner. Kills. He he doesn't. As far as TV dads, I left them off my list. Like Walter White and Tony Soprano are better TV dads than freaking Tanner. Sucks. I thought. I'll be honest. I thought you when you said Dan. I I was gonna need credit because he's maybe I love them. Honorable mention. I thought you were gonna say Dan Connor from Roseanne. Uh, no, uh, honorable mention, yes, but no. That's where I was like, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, you said Tanner, and I went, oh, oh the disrespect. I, I just, uh, 
I thought Frank Costanza would be like, oh, that's the only like hiccup we're going to have. I didn't know you were going to do. Uh, Not a hiccup. Again, you are against the masses. You are swimming upstream, know, man. man. You're fighting an uphill I, I, battle. This has been. You look up any top twenty list. You're going to see Danny Tanner on most of them. Okay, I'll say this though. I don't think I'm against the masses when it comes to a top five list. I don't. I don't think you'll see Tanner that high. A and B. I'm an original thinker. And I will argue any TV person to the death about Danny Tanner being a great TV. Well, you dad. better bring a lot more original thoughts to that to that discussion. Absolutely. I just did. Uh, I, I did. You, I did. Okay, keep going. I, I it's obvious. <laughs> it is obvious. It's not. I think there are great. There's role players. So if we want to use sports, there's role players on championship teams. So I think he is definitely a character on, for whatever reason, a memorable show. And I think some people ride that wave. And I think Danny Tanner is a character on a memorable show. He is not memorable in the slightest. I, for a while, man, Bob Saget was known growing up. I knew him. He was more known for America's Funniest Home Video than he was for Full House. People knew him more for that. I guarantee no it for way. a long time. I guarantee it. Uh, he was more in the 90s and the 80s and the 90s. America's Funniest Home Video, because that was YouTube before YouTube. Bob Saget was way more known for that and way cooler for that. Cooler? That stuff he I couldn't doing. stand yes. him on America's Funniest Home Videos. He's way better on Are that. Are you kidding he's me? Bro, he's he not even so, close. I don't know if it was the writing or what. He was so cheesy. Like on that. And what is he on Full House? Well, no. Okay, he's cheesy on Full House, but that's like that's like the whole show. But like he 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 would do jokes on America's Funniest Home Videos. They were they were never funny. Never. And that's funny. they were. That's the point. That it was Middle America Sunday night at seven. It came on at seven on a Sunday. So you can it stick was. anybody up there that could do that. No. Tell bad you jokes. Can stick any. He he told like what the equivalent of what you call dad jokes now. He told dad jokes before they were. Dad there were jokes. even moments. D, remember, remember, man, vividly. There were even moments where he would like laugh, like you could see his own expression on his face, and he would be like, "Man, this is so bad." Well, uh, yeah, he, he's a blue comic. Bob Saget really is a blue comic, but Bob Saget was way more known for America because those. The, and also, he's not the star of that. The star. It was his job to segue to the next crazy video. Of somebody doing something funky back in Middle America in 1990. That's what he was there to do. But I guarantee more people were talking about that than they were him as Danny Tanner. Danny Tanner sucks, man. Dude, you you gotta let it. A lot, oh man, so much, so much hate for Danny Tanner. I, I I just don't get it. Why we're putting Danny Tanner so high? So many people. Is it just crazy nostalgia? Because if you run the tape back. There's nothing about this that you can say is memorable. There's not a great Danny scene, great Danny punchlines, great Danny jokes. It's not like, oh, he was a transcending character for how fathers are played. He's just there. You, your main point is that you brought up the fact that he was a widower, but 
it doesn't even get this. It's not a big part of the show. It is in some episodes. Uh, see, it's not a thing. It's it's you constantly. If you put on a Full House episode, you're not going to be like, oh, you're just like, why are these two guys? Like, you don't you don't feel it like, oh, he's a widower and they they're there to help. You just think, oh, their uncles are coming by. Like it it could have nah, been. See, I but I think you have this. The, the level of disdain for you has gotten so high that it's created this mental block for you. And you can't remember all. anything about Full House. Not at all. I'll be honest. Before we get to your... We'll get to number one, people. But I just want to keep schooling Nick. Is I am someone who was excited for and liked Fuller House on Netflix, right? And he's part of the ensemble. You know, he's not, it's not like, like when the Olsen twins don't come back on, people are like, man, there's no, you know, we need Michelle. If it was flipped, if the Olsen twins came back on and no Saget, it wouldn't be that. It'd be like, all right, just dad's away and we keep it moving. Like, he was just part of the ensemble. And I'll see this, Danny Tanner's funnier probably on Fuller House than he, and he's not even that funny on Fuller House than he ever was on Fuller House. I think he made me laugh like two or three times on Fuller House, and that's more than he did on Fuller House. I'm going to have to hit you with a come on, man. I, come I, I on, just think, man. man yeah, you know, we'll put it on Twitter. We'll see what people think. But, man, jeez. I, yeah, I hope Bob, Bob Saget way overrated or underrated. Got to go up on Twitter. No, 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 no. Don't be trick. Don't trick our listeners. Danny Tanner. Don't say Bob's Bob Saget. That means his stand up. All right, all right. Danny, videos. Danny, I misspoke. Keep it to Danny Tanner. Yeah, D- Danny Tanner. Oh, jeez. All right. Do you want to give? It I don't know if I want to give it now. Jeez, that was rough, man. That was uh, you went Danny Tanner. I don't know who was that. Was that in this? Ugh. All right, you're not gonna like my number one either. Because oh, my own, it's my own personal. These are my own personal favorites. I know. You know. You've talked big. I said in the beginning of the episode, mine can be a hybrid, and then you followed suit. If you just want to stuck with you, mine, really aren't the best, but they're my favorites. I wouldn't objectively. Be he's on a top twenty dads list. Oh my god. Oh my god. Number one. Tim the Tool Man Taylor. Oh my God. Tim Allen. Oh my God. Home improvement. Jesus. Jesus. I mean, Go do ahead. I do I have to? You're just going to disagree with Please. everything that I say. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No. I'm first not. of all, I think looking back, first of all, home improvement stands up. It 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 it's holds good. up. It's good. It's good. I think it's underrated today. I think you know it was num- it, it hit number one multiple times back back say, when yeah, it was on. We top yeah, it show. was top rated show when when it was in its heyday. But right now, very overlooked, very forgotten about, very underrated. Mm. Mm. Home Improvement, led by Tim Allen, Tim the Toolman Taylor. Mm-hmm. So many dad moments. So many great dad moments. The early seasons, we see struggling with. Uh, uh, Brad's going through um, puberty, and he's like he, he's he's struggling with with you know how to teach him certain things, how to bond with him. You got that famous 
scene in the garage with 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 the blowtorch and like you know find a way for him to connect with his son is the 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 dynamic between between um him and Jill and you know all well, those moments of confusion and like you know what him trying to navigate like you know what is she really saying to me and and you know getting advice from his neighbor and but you know still you know is he a groveler not really but you know he admits when he's wrong and he finds ways to to make it up to her to you know to try to become a better person you know he's kind of meant out made out to be this kind of like you know macho man you know man's man simpleton you know when it comes to intellectual stuff you know football fan you know big kind of meathead guy um you know kind of a you know a uh a dunce and just you know clumsy and all that's great like that gives us great comedy he has so many good one-liners he has great slapstick comedy he brings it all man he brings it all to to that show he carries that show I mean, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was great on it um, as Randy. He had a fantastic role. He had he had some great moments. But Tim Allen carries that show. He really does. And I think he is more than capable of it. I, Dude, I'm going Tim the Toolman Taylor as, as number one. Number one on my list. I hear you. I don't think he, this was not bad. At least not, it's not bad. Um, it's confusing. Because give me give me your your five. Who's who's number five? Jerry Stiller as Frank Costanza. Number okay. four was uh, James Avery as Philip Banks. Mm-hmm. Dan Costellanetta as Homer Simpson. Yeah, the fact the fact that a you have Danny Tanner over Philip Banks and and Homer Simpson is insane, and, and that's that's where it's crazy. The fact that I think Tim Toolman Taylor can make definitely top twenty list. He's not a top top he, ten. He's not a top. He's not a top tenner for me, but he's a top 20 guy, in my opinion. I, I will say this. I think Home Improvement is rightfully rated. Get out of here. I think it's right. Right now it is because it's not a groundbreaking show. It's not. It, it's, it's just good comfort TV. And I think, I mean, it got good ratings in its heyday, and it made, you know, Tim Allen a, a big star. It made... Jonathan Taylor Thomas a big star. So I, 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 you know, I don't, I think it got its proper due and there's nothing trailblazing or groundbreaking about that show. Um, I think that I like the spin that Tim Taylor and, you know, portrayed by Tim Allen had on masculinity uh, was, was funny, but you know, he he liked all the the classic male macho stuff, but was terrible at it. Um, and then at the same time, accepted his own flaws. In, in a way, in a way, um, learned. learned from. What, yeah. What I will say is, I liked the the Tim and Jill dynamic. I thought they were very for a sitcom, a very believable husband and wife, like believable with their the way they would kind of like crack on each other believable with their attraction to each other you know sometimes i watch certain shows not that it can't happen but it's like 
you know, they, they had three, four or five kids. They've been married for 20 years and their sex drive is through the roof. Is it impossible? No, but it's like, where do you, you know, you know, it's like, okay. I I felt like theirs was the right amount. Like they seem like a couple who've been married at the time for, I don't know, 18 years when the show started, they had three boys. He's working, she's doing things. And, and they, they had, obviously they loved each other, but they're raising their kids and, and, you know, middle America. Do you remember that scene to, to to your point? Do you remember that's that, that episode where Jill was having like a baby shower over their house for one of her friends and Tim mm-hmm. comes in and he's like he's super charming and he's like saying all the right things. Oh yes, yes. And then you know that gets Jill all like like ooh Turned like on. yeah like yeah okay like where's this coming from? I'm I'm ready to go. And then they go <laughs> she gets slips into something something comfortable for him and they're about to go to bed and Tim comes out of the bathroom. Start burping. He's in like he's in like a like a, a stripped down t shirt and, and, and like, like boxers. boxers. He's just like belching and like, oh, shouldn't have had that, uh, had that burrito or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He took, he took the boys to like a monster truck. Yeah, show yeah, yeah. That is, that's a, that's a great, that's a great, great pick by you. That's a great, yeah. Scene. That's a great, and all of a sudden scene. it's just, no, the moment is funny. killed. It killed, he, he destroyed that moment. That is a great scene. Um, I I can be okay with it because it is a hybrid thing, you know. I think, I think what I will say is he he does like I said earlier, a good job on masculinity, and on a lot of times I and this is my take that I think a lot of times, and it's weird because I think Tim loved tools and he loved cars, but a lot of times we are into things because we're we feel like we're supposed to be into them. Yeah, and I think that's representation to me in a way. When I see Tim the Toolman Taylor, I I don't think it's fake. I do. I know Tim Allen really does. The real Tim Allen is into that stuff, and I feel like a lot of times we're into it because we think that's what we're supposed to do as men. But Tim was very bad at all these things, and in fact, it was a danger zone. And I love the one scene when I think Randy, it was Randy who got hurt. And Tim takes him to the ER. And when they walk into the ER, everyone knows Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. How you doing, Tim? He knows all yep. of them. Hey, Joe. Hey, Ben. And then one person comes up to him. Hey, Tim, here's your, here's your mug with some coffee just for you. He's like, oh, thanks. Thanks, Randy. Thanks, buddy. And like, everyone just knows. Everyone's this. And they're just like, Tim, is your, uh, your, your favorite room right here. We got it ready just for you, buddy. And it's just like. And everyone's kind of shocked, like, oh, you're not here for yourself? Like, okay. <laughs> like, uh, that, that always cracks me up. But I I will say this, though. I think definitely Star shows Tim. He's funny. But I think who I like, I love the Tim-Al dynamic. Al is great. Wilson, very underrated how great Wilson was. Oh, I loved Wilson. As a character. So I think very good supporting cast. Definitely also what I grew to love is the guys who would guest star on tool time, especially the, 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 oh, band. the band was the best. The band, they, my were mind. they were great to watch. They were great to watch. Um, I think Harry, Harry, who also wound up playing Chet Hunter on boy meets world as well. You know, another ABC show we'll talk about in the future. Um, I, they, they had a, just a really good supporting cast. Even when his brother, Marty came in to the picture, I, I, I'm okay with this because it's both being your number one. I, I, I think 
I'll be honest, as time has gone on, he doesn't hit my honorable mention anymore. Hmm. Um, and that's not necessarily a knock. I think it's just as time, you know, has passed, you, you start to get a, an eye for this and an appreciation for other fathers portrayed on TV. And I think it was just, I think there's some shows, just like there's some movies, there's some athletes or actors who they're just good. They're not great or trailblazing, but they're not bad. And I think Home Improvement was that. It was it was simple humor. You saw it coming. Like, you weren't surprised. It was routine. But it made you laugh. The actors did their role. And I think that's kind of where maybe Tim Taylor loses his zest for me is it, it was kind of like just the basic stuff. But I think he did a good job. So he, he makes a list. But for me, on my list or on anyone else's list, if I'm critiquing it, to be top, to be high, you got to be trailblazing and transcending. And Tim Taylor's not that for me. Well, why don't you give me your trailblazing, transcending number one pick? Well, my number one pick is not going to be popular with people for certain reasons. And I respect that, but I respectfully disagree. And I tell people that we have to separate man from the character. And as much as people are erasing this um, show from history, mm-hmm. for my part, you can't erase it from history on so many levels, culturally, in the annals of television, and in the annals of TV fathers and TV families. And so my number one... Cliff Huxtable from the Cosby Show. Mm. Um, I was wondering who was going to go there first. I have to, and I'm proud of it because anyone who knows me knows that I, I've had a personal experience. You know, when I was at Temple meeting Bill Cosby, and it wasn't pleasurable. This is circa 2008. Uh, wasn't pleasurable, and you know, it was a really crushing blow for me because he was a guy I looked up to. And from his stand-up, but more than anything, uh, you know, Fat Albert. But the Cosby Show was such a huge part of my life that between that and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, they were shows. They're probably the only two shows I know episodes heart by heart. I don't need, you know, you can have it on mute and my back's turned to it. And I can tell you everywhere, every, I've seen them so much and they so make up who I am as a TV viewer and a TV appreciation appreciator but i'm making up words for you that's how good i am <laughs> but um cliff huxtable was that classic in an era where it was a resurgence of tv dads a he's the one who led the resurgence because in 1984 the sitcom was considered dead you know you look at the 83 84 tv ratings only one sitcom is in the top 10 the show on CBS, Kate and Alley. A lot of people felt like, hey, sitcoms are done. And the fact that, hey, it was a black man with a black family who turned the art form of the sitcom around, turned a network around. NBC was dead last, and he saved NBC. Bill Cosby and the Cosby Show did. And the fact that what we saw later on, he started that trend that we've seen from then on of and hey, Tim Allen owes credit to it. Roseanne, Jerry Seinfeld, and on and on that of seeing a stand-up comic based off of their material get a sitcom, a TV show. 
That really kind of came, honestly, from the Cosby show. Now, I say Cliff Huxtable because of when you think of cool dads and the dad that everyone, because we all think, we all can look back and was like, who's the cool parent? It could be a cool mom, too. Cliff Huxtable on TV, bar none, personified the cool dad. He was the guy who was funny. He was inventive in his parenting skills. He was loving. He was an obstetrician. He was also in the same ilk as what I said about uh, Jason Seaver. You know, his wife, Claire, big-time lawyer, became eventually become partner at a law firm. He was okay with that. And not only was he okay with it, I think even better – you know, I love the realness that Jason Seaver showed, but what I love about Cliff Huxtable was he reveled, and it wasn't a competition of, oh, well, I'm a, uh, an obstetrician, she's a lawyer, who's, you know, higher on the, the totem pole and who makes more money. He reveled and enjoyed when she showed her intelligence, when she showed her independence. And I think that's a, I took away a great example. I think everyone can, that not, you're, 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 that's your, your, your mate. You're supposed to, when you see them shining like that and showing those things, you don't get jealous. You don't try to be like, well, I'm the man or something. He propped it up. He loved it when she was, you know, let the record show and was going to put them in. When she showed strength, he didn't, he loved it. And he, you know, reveled in it. And I thought that was a great example. I love that he was a great, the way he was with the kids. When you see Rudy at, you know, and Rudy's friends, I, I thought it was awesome. I don't, I don't really know who before showed that, where they, how they were the father for their kids, but they also were the neighborhood dad, you know, for Cockroach, for Theo, for Peter, and for Kenny, a.k.a. Bud, for Rudy, uh, Robert, for Vanessa, and, and and, you know, like, it was awesome to see that portrayal as well, and to see him also be encouraging as the obstetrician and bringing literally bringing life into this world. Cliff Huxtable set the standard. You know, a lot of people, let's be real at that time. were like, Oh, you know, you know, black fathers being in the household and he set the standard of, yes, there's not, there's, you know, black people who live in urban environments. And there's also middle-class blacks too which had been around, but people acted like that didn't exist. And he shattered that. And he shattered that, yes, there are black doctors. There's black lawyers. And I talked about, because a lot of times he gets critiqued, that Cliff Huxtable and the Huxtables show enough of cultural pride. And I think with what's going on, with what Bill Cod, even before, you know, it's, it's easy to critique it. And I see why. Do I think that you can? Absolutely. But I think in his own way, he did show. He showed pride. A, also by showing that, hey, we're a black family who love each other, who have fun, who connect. You know, I love my parents. He showed appreciation for his parents. And they loved their grandparents. You know, that that connection. He showed an appreciation for Hillman, which was representation of an HBCU, a historical black college. Uh, a lot of the the sweat people forget a lot of the sweaters and sweatshirts that Bill Cosby as Cliff Huxley would wear would have a Spellman or a Howard on it. Um, the the episode talking about 
the March on Washington and having all them, you know, whether him and Claire and then Claire's parents and then his parents, Cliff's parents, talking about that when Theo's writing a report and giving the uh, the recollection of the day. And, and the day as what most people were, as people who were just there marching because they wanted to be there to fight for something and they knew it was important. You know, oftentimes we hear the perspectives of the organizers or Dr. King and Byron Rustin and, and John Lewis, rest in peace, all those people. But they gave that perspective. There's a lot of people who don't get credit in this movement who were just average Joes who fought hard. And I love that. So to me, and also the representation with the music. When you heard all the jazz artists that so many people would not know. How many people I don't think would know about Dizzy Gillespie or so many other artists who came on that show? Uh, from Diane Wiggins to so many people. Stevie Wonder, well, he was already big, but guest starred on there. Them playing, you know, James Brown, that classic scene where they do the performance for Cliff's parents' wedding anniversary. Nighttime is the right time, you know, night and day. Um, it's 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 huge. It's huge. So it's not the popular choice, but I got to go Cliff Huxable, number one. Well, and I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you said in, in this case, got to be able to separate the um, actor from the character. Right. Um, I had it down as a question mark for honorable mentions. I, I was like, and the reason why I put question marks is because I didn't know if we were going to, if we were going to go there because so many people have tried to write off the show and erase it from TV history. Um, well, uh, I'll say this. We didn't do that. And I'm not saying we should have because as a character, he's an all time great character. We didn't do that when Michael Richards had the, you know, saying the N word on stage. We didn't, there was no taking Seinfeld off the air. Right. And you and I before for years talked about how, for you and you know, as a white man and me as black, like I, I, I struggled for a long time to rewatch because I Kramer was my favorite character, and it was hard to watch. And you said it was hard for you to watch it. I know how much you. I could watch it for years. Yeah, and and, and but no one pulled Seinfeld off TV off a of syndication and act like Seinfeld doesn't exist in TV history. Um, I know in a lot of lists, and honestly. I debated him making honorable mention Eric Camden from Seventh Heaven, mm. um, and we know what Stephen Collins has admitted to. And Seventh Heaven's not pulled off of syndication, Nick. It's on everywhere, and I'm not saying that it should be, but I, I, there's no boycotting Seventh Heaven and taking it off the air. None of that. But with Cosby Show. It's like it doesn't exist. And people for Bill Cosby as a stand up are acting like that now. And the and I say that because there are so many things in TV history. Like I said, saving the sitcom, saving NBC. The reason must see TV Thursday became something in the fall of 84 when Cosby show hit the air. And that's how people became to, to know family ties. Many people have said. As great of a show as Cheers is, people don't know Cheers until Cosby Show came on during Cheers' third season. Cheers was on at 9 o'clock. Cosby's a top show. And then Cheers got that audience. Same with Family Ties, and it took off. Must See TV Thursday would, would not have happened without the Cosby Show. So many things. So why, you know, how many shows 
I know that show. I know All in the Family. And I believe either another show, Mike. Cosby was number one for five straight seasons. We're not going to take that off. So that to me is revisionist history. That to me is a bias and a prejudice. And I'm going to say that is racist because we didn't do it for the other shows, but we're doing it for the Cosby show. So to me, if you do it for the Cosby show, fine. But then you do it for Seinfeld. You do it for Seventh Heaven. And I'll be honest, you probably can go through history and do it for a lot of other shows, too. So I can say for me, Jeremy Dove will never do that. This is someone who had a bad experience with Bill Cosby. doesn't like what he did. Doesn't like, I didn't like a lot of things he did before the, the trial in this case came out. I really don't like it now. But I separate it. I'm not, you're not going to take the Cosby show away from me. And we're represented to so many people, black and white. You know, in 08, people were saying the Cosby show was a big reason why the Obamas happened. And Obama got elected. And now we want to erase it. We can't erase that. We can't erase that. It, it has too much historical significance. And, and, and not just for TV. I, I think that's evident. Um, that's a very different, wound up being a very different top five. Did we make our over-under? Um, it depends on how you look at it. There's only the one was with Philip Banks. If you want to add honorable mentions, hmm. then I think we're at two, three. Well, we have, you have, uh, well, you had Uncle Phil, Mark, Martin right. Crane. And, um, Okay, I, I I have Homer Simpson, so if you want to count honorable mentions, yeah. I did write Homer. But according to you, honorable mentions don't count. Yes, that's why I said, if you ask me, it's about the list. Yeah. And for the list, it was just the, the one with Philip Banks. Um, give me some honorable mentions for you that we haven't named yet, but that were, like, you know, that, that were really tough. That either, you know, tough that you were debating putting on your list and didn't or something like well, that. Well, I did debate Dan Connor. Um, that one was a close because, you know, I wrestled back and forth with like my own personal top five versus, you know, if I, if I'm going to give the where, credit where credit's due and I look objectively at it, you got to put Dan Connor. He might even make a top 10, top 15. For sure. Um, but uh, I'll throw one out at you that you might not expect. Um, Ty Burrell as uh, Phil Dumphy of Modern Family. Yeah, I, I, I thought about the Modern Family crew. I kind of wasn't sure if, if, you, if you give it to him or Jay Pritchard, you know, Ed O'Neill's character, because he's Ed O'Neill's the, the patriarch, but Ty Burrell's a, a dad. Um, and honestly, they, or, or even, which I wish why, for me, I, a big fan of the show, I, I look at, uh, at Cam, hmm. you know, um, um, Cam was so well portrayed by Eric Stone Street. So there's a lot. I think that's why I stayed away from it because, as far as just TV dads, I I I see so many you can pick, you know, with that. So I I kind of stayed away from it. But that's a good choice. Well, I saw an opportunity to look at the evolution of of the TV dad. You know, you were you were talking about that earlier, and in the 80s and 90s, you saw a little bit. A little bit of a change, but with the Phil Dunphy character, it's not 
it's like a modern dad. It's like, and, and a lot of people criticize um, modern parenting techniques and philosophies because you know, I've heard people say they're trying to be a parent as well as a friend, right? Yeah. And it's just a different philosophy. It's a different approach. And, you know, it shouldn't be that way and blah, 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 blah. But with this character, you got, you got that. Like, at the same, like, he was trying to parent them, but at the same time, he was trying to, like, you know, win their affection as, like, a friend. You know? He was, like, trying to be buddy-buddy with his kids. And that wasn't something you saw on, a, you know, a, a kind of um, in the limelight before, at least not with a sitcom. It's, that, to, to my recollection, that's one of the first TV dads to take on that parent-slash-peer philosophy for parenting. No, I, I don't think you're wrong, and I think that's what makes it hard. He is different in that way, but then Jay Pritchard, to me, shows a lot in the fact that he's married to a much younger you know, woman has, who has a young son, and there's that aspect to it, but then also dealing with having a gay son and, and coming to grips with that and and also, I think seeing by the you know, Modern Family debuts in 2009, and at that point, not that things you know don't aren't still happening in the LGBTQ community, but like it's starting to become more acceptable all around. You see it everywhere now. That if that show would have premiered ten years earlier, so I think him coming to grips with that, uh, and also just you know the whole age thing and, and he has a young son and a young wife, but he has grandkids and, and he's kind of like the old fogey. And then you have cam who is, you know, showing a, a gay father, but also he's over the top, but he's also a, he loves football and he's a farm boy and he's tough in that regard. And he's a clown. You know, such you a know, great character. Uh, but he's he's like he's really the mother kind of figure, but he's not in the traditional way. You know, if you look at physically, he's bigger and the tougher. And if a fight's going to go down, Cam's the one, but he's also the mom. Whereas Mitchell's probably more fem- like feminine, you would say, but he's kind of plays the the dad role. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, um, I think it's a great take on that. I think so. That's why I think it. They have so many. It's hard to choose from. But you're definitely what you said about. You know, Ty Burrell playing Phil Dunphy is correct. It's dead on. I um, I do have a confession to make. Um, my honorable mentions looked a little bit different before we started the show. Uh, I had a name on there that you, you mm-hmm. convinced me to take off. Who's that? Mr. Ray Barone. Played by <laughs> Ray Romano. Because you brought up a great point. Uh, you had me thinking. You know, him as a dad, he, he more so plays the role of the, um, the, the, the at-fault husband and the, like, goofy husband and, you know, can't get anything right. Then he does, you know, in, in a dad role. It, it, there are episodes where he has moments with the kids, um, but... They're kind, they're few and far between. So you brought up a good point. So I I had to you you know I had to delete an honorable mention from my list, but I initially had um, Ray Barone on there. Now I so while 
Oh, oh no, no. Sorry. I was just going to say real quick that I, I also thought of his father instead. Because that's more of the fatherly role, you know? Mm-hmm. But... <sighs> I, and I, I wondered, I kind of said that and I thought maybe, but I'm like, maybe not. But I... I don't know. I, I, I appreciate your, your honesty. I'm, I'm surprised, honestly, you made the, 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 the switcheroo while we were recording. That's, that's heads up. I wasn't sure you would be able to do that. But um, I, yeah, I think of Ray Barone, like you said, as the husband, as a brother, as a son. Right. Um, and because, you know, the early years that the, op- the, the opening like theme song, he kind of he's introducing everyone. He says it. He's like, "Yeah, we have three kids, and but they're not really the show's not really about them, so you won't see much." Like he kind of says, "Like they're an afterthought, really." Mm-hmm. And for a lot of it, they are like background, like they're in scenes. Yeah, but a lot of it is them. Like it's really Deborah. Like kids, don't yell or all right, kids, time for like they're they're they they serve the purpose right. to move the scene along, but there's nothing really about them. And um, even in the episode where it's about it's about the kids. Where, you know, this was early on. There was an episode about his daughter um, refusing to, like, um, uh, share her toy or something. I forget what the specifics were. But it became more about Ray and Deborah and whose parenting technique was more effective than it did, than it had to do with, like, you know, solving the issue with the kids. Yeah, it, um I remember, I think uh, that one's a little, I can't remember that. I remember the one where they think that Allie, the daughter, is getting bullied, but then it winds up that she's the bully right. and that the person she was bullying, her older brother, defended, was defending his little sister. And it became a thing of like, you know, Deborah used to kind of be like the cool, popular kid and Ray and Robert weren't. And so it kind of became about them and went back to like their childhoods and their scars from childhood. And, and, and you're right. That's what, kind of what would happen a lot of times. Don't get me wrong. Ray had a lot of good moments. The few that he did have with the kids were good, but they were too few for me in my opinion. Yeah, I think you put it perfectly. I think he was husband, brother, son, and in that order in regards to priority for, for the show. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, for me, one that kind of, and I'm ashamed because I love this show so much right before he kind of made the list, my honorable mentions right before we started recording. And I'm like, wow, he should have been put on there higher. And I think he, he is weird. I don't think he's a underrated character. But I don't think he's a. I think he's an underrated dad, if that makes sense. And that's that's Hank Hill from King of the Hill. Um, hmm. I King, King of the Hill is to me great on so many levels for so many reasons. Um, I feel like King of the Hill is the reason why we have like a BoJack Horseman in today's world, and a lot of these these cartoons that are like very real and they're not over the top cartoons. Or you know. Besides the fact that if, if you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell. You would think you're just listening to a real show. That's what I love about King of the Hill. And I think Hank Hill's a great character. 
but also the way him being father to Bobby and the fact that he is due to his upbringing, due to the the part of the country, you know, his generation, the part of the country he's from. He's very American dream, apple pie, conservative. And, and Bobby's very different. Bobby is not that all-American boy, but that's his only son. And he loves him, and he, he finds a way to try to connect with him. And I think they do a masterful job of you see how much he loves Bobby, but how he, he doesn't know how to take Bobby at times. But he comes around lots of times, and I think they do a great job. So him as a father, I think, and also the way he is with uh, Luann, who is kind of like, he's like, he's like an Uncle Phil cartoon version. Luann, that's his wife's niece. They take her in. And Luann doesn't have a father figure, and Luann looks to her Uncle Hank, and a lot of times he sticks up and does that role for her, but in that way where he's teaching these lessons, he's teaching them how to be independent, but it's still humorous. And, and it's also him not understanding the times as well, and, and is, Hank Hill's a great honorable mention for me. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one. I did not think that kind of came out of left field. I did not think of that. Um, I, I've actually gone through all of mine, um, so you can just just do rapid fire if you want for the rest of your honorable mentions. For me, it's it's three. It's Fred Sanford from Sanford and Son. I I think Fred Sanford's one of maybe uh, one, maybe the funniest TV character of all time is Fred Sanford. Uh, I think he, I think of someone who laughs out loud moments. Um, He's right up. It's like him, Archie Bunker, Michael Scott. It's a short list of TV characters who made me laugh out loud. Uh, Fred Sanford is great. Bernie Mac, mm. you know, I did. I I I almost put him on our mentions. Yeah, I got to give Bernie Mac credit. Coming from his classic stand-up bit from the Kings of Comedy tour and that movie, and uh, you know, taking in his sister's kids, his sister's on drugs, and the. Those three kids' interactions with them, I thought was brilliant. I thought he did a good job of showing progression in the role he takes with all of them. You know, from the youngest one, you know, being so little that it's an instant connection to him trying to understand Jordan, the only boy, and how he's kind of nerdy and different and, you know, has his issues and then the battles he had with Vanessa, the oldest one and how their relationship grew. I thought Bernie Mac is very underrated. I think the show's underrated. And I think him as a dad, it gets recognition, but deserves more. And last but not least, I've been talking about TV dads of the eighties. And to me, there's a, some people change it up now. I think it's bullshit because of the Cosby show. When I, there's a great triumvirate. Of family shows and family dads, and it's the Cosby Show with Cliff Huxtable, it's Jason Seaver with Growing Pains, it's Stephen Keaton with Family Ties. And don't get me wrong, I know Michael J. Fox, Alex P. Keaton's the breakout star, breakout character, but you gotta love Stephen Keaton and the fact that he, you know, him and Elise, '60s counterculture hippie parents. And now into the 80s and trying to, you know, rationalize with the whole yuppie Reagan revolution movement and their son who is 
a Reagan lover and a lover of economics and making money and wants to be a yuppie and them trying to deal with that and trying to, you know, teach him their ways and him kind of looking at their ways like the 60s are over. You guys are weird. I think they did a masterful job with Stephen Keaton. And to me, I, I look at it for some people, it might be the 50s or 60s. But like the TV dads, my golden era of it is the 80s. And you can't have that without Steve Keaton. So that that's my list to wrap it up. Well said, man. Well said. All right. I guess that's everybody. This was fun, man. This was a lot of fun. Our first like special. Yeah. First special episode. More, more to come as, uh, you know, these ideas, uh, you know, keep popping up. We're going to, we're not going to limit ourselves, man. We're just going to keep, uh, keep cranking them out. And, you know, it's not always going to be a top five, you know, sometimes it might be a top 10, something, sometimes it might be something different entirely, but you know, we're going to, as our, we get different ideas, we're going to keep this momentum going and, uh, you know, be ready for a drop in the middle of the week. Yeah. And. For those, please, you can rate and review Ready, Set, Binge on Apple or on every podcast platform. Uh, give us a, a rating, a review. We are on Twitter now, and it's at set underscore binge. So you can type in Ready, Set, Binge, and you'll see we're at set underscore binge. Um, that way we'll, we'll be posting all the time your thoughts on different TV shows, characters, topics, past and present. Uh, that's where you can come on if you agree with me you disagree with Nick about how overrated Danny Tanner is please <laughs> at set underscore binge hashtag Danny Tanner sucks you know just put that in there I might get that started myself but please that's where we will be and we're going to keep growing it but uh, and we have an episode coming for you also you know later on this weekend as well so we're we're bringing the content for you. Yeah, back to the original, uh, back to the regular format this weekend um, with uh, with a, with another you know uh, focus on a, on a single TV show, but definitely keep an eye out for these uh, special episodes where we break down some of our our favorite moments, our our top characters, etc. Because this is when we get to open things up a little bit more and and uh, you know share some some of our some of our favorite uh, things about television. Yep, and thank you guys for listening to Ready, Set, Binge. For Nick, a.k.a. the biggest Danny Tanner fan in the world, I'm Jeremy. Thank you guys for listening. Hashtag Danny Tanner sucks. Peace.